Aren't we thankful for the change in weather? Temperature's one thing, but humidity, that's a lot harder, isn't it? My Bible's still sticky from yesterday. Let's see how many of you are from, uh, or at least know some things of more liturgical churches. What is the chief end of man? Listen to that. That has uh, come down through the Christian faith as... uh, Some of the theologians earlier on hammered that out. It's part of the uh, Westminster Confession and a good statement. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's part, that is my primary purpose in taking up this study of the Holy Spirit. To worship God in a fuller way. The more we know about God and the more he touches our lives, the better we can worship. Would you agree with that? And uh, the Holy Spirit is not only the timid member of the Godhead, he is the most misunderstood or not understood of the members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Last evening, uh, Steve spoke to us about the first fruits, the first fruits of our of our time, uh, the first fruits of our talents, the first fruits of our uh, monetary resources. If you'd like uh, another T, you could even put tithes, uh, time, talent, tithes, all of those. And what that all stands for, it is putting God first in our lives. That's the chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. When I was young, we used to sing one of those uh, courses. I will tell our students at school, we sang some silly courses too growing up. I didn't like them then, I don't like them now. But we, uh, we did sing them, and one of them was this. It's not really silly. After all he's done for me. Any of you know that one? That's enough to sing it. Think we can? Let's do it. After all he's done for me, after all he's done for me, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely? After all he's done for me. And that's the truth. That's the chief end of man. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and our neighbor as ourselves. And the more we understand God, the more we are transformed into the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ from glory to glory. And we can do that. And that's part of my purpose, the main purpose of studying the work of the Holy Spirit. I hope you all have your charts. If you don't, I'm sure there's some more at the back. My son said, Dad, you always run out, so run a lot. So we did run a lot. And if you don't have one, uh, lift your hand and my... Elder friend Dave McLeod will give you some of those. Let's read across the top of the list. This will help us get the categories in our mind for your continual studies. One of the things we like to say at Emmaus is we like our students to become perpetual learners. Isn't that right? That's part of what education does. And this will serve as categories of thinking in relationship to the Holy Spirit. 
read across the blue line at the top with me. These are the various segments of uh, time and non-time that we'll be looking at. We'll start with eternity past. Everybody there? Here we go. Eternity past, the Old Testament, the life of Christ, the church era, the tribulation, the millennial kingdom, eternity future. We were looking at some of the things in uh, eternity past when there was only God. Uh, Communion amongst the Trinity, promises made, plans established. And again, that's for our understanding. God doesn't have to say, let's have a six-month study as to what we're going to do. He knows all things. Father, Son, Holy Spirit knows all things, past, present, and future, real and potential, at once, without effort, intuitively. Oh, to be like that. But we're not like that. Only God is, only God will ever be. So when he talks about plans, and we sing about the plan of salvation, understand that's uh, accommodating language so that we can understand best we can as finite, limited human beings. But there were plans. From our understanding, I referred to that great section in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where there is a time and purpose, time and purpose for everything under the sun. Every event of time. Every day is the day the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. I have a little calendar at school amongst all of these promises and statements of Ecclesiastes, and I have a month spread out and a rod that I can move across, and it points to this verse. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in that. Remember, that was late Thursday night, just before crucifixion Friday. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. first particular verse establishing the working of the Holy Spirit is the preliminary sanctification of the Holy Spirit. It comes out of Peter. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit unto obedience and the application of the blood of Christ. This took place at the same time sovereign election took place. We know when that took place. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth. We know that it took place. We know when it took place. We cannot debate that. We can debate and discuss the basis of the election. That's where we have our interesting discussions. But when it took place and that it took place is not a thing of debate. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth, when there was only God, he chose Unto obedience, when we obey the gospel, the application of the blood of Christ into our lives. And the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, is the means by which that sanctification is uh, recorded, chosen by God, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in a past eternity. It puts a circle around the name of those to be saved based on God's uh, election. A hard doctrine, I understand that. 
be glad to talk about the basis of it. We're not going to talk about that at all in our discussion. Just that the Holy Spirit was involved in that process when there was only Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Choice Limbs of the Faith. You remember that handbook? It was a blue one. 202. This is the one I grew up on. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. We're not going to sing that one. I used to laugh at that one. I, in fact, at camp we used to say, what would the hot dog do if the roll's called up yonder? You know? But we don't make jokes about hymns, do we? No. Yes, we do. The roll is going to be called up yonder. This is when the roll was made in a past eternity by the recording work of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we come to the work of the Holy Spirit in you, work of the Holy Spirit in my life, he convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's after us. The hound of heaven pursues us until we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he knows who he's doing that to. He's after us. And he won't give up until that day when we say, I believe Christ died for me. That's a wonderful concept, isn't it? The Holy Spirit started to work on our behalf when there was only God. Are you thankful for that? I am. That's a wonderful concept. When does time begin? Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1. You know this verse. The fact of the matter is, if we can accept this verse in its simplicity, the rest of the Bible gets kind of easy to believe. How many of you know that one by heart? Genesis 1.1. Say it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But there's one thing he created before he created the heavens and the earth. What is that? Angels. Who said that? Right answer. In Job 38, it says this, The sons of God sang for joy at God's creation. If they sang for joy, they had to be there. And angels were created before God created the heavens and the earth. They sang for joy. Sons of God being a, a common name for the angels. Uh, sons of God sang for joy. Now, I can imagine that. I enjoy Fourth of July. I enjoy particularly uh, the fireworks of it. And uh, in Dubuque, they have a really good fireworks display down uh, on the Mississippi River. You see them twice. You know, you see them up there and you see them in the water. That's kind of a neat thing. It's a beautiful experience. The ones I like the most are the ones that make the big boom, that make you shake. Uh, first time I went, when that went off, all the car horns started to blow. Uh, that's a neat sound, boom, you know. When they first go up, there's a sound the audience makes. Do you know that sound? Okay, on three, I want you to do that. One, two, three. That's it. That's what the angels did. A lot of angels. Ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. They went, oh, and they recognized the great creative work of God 
They were the first observers of the creation. In the beginning then, having created angels, and I am certain the Holy Spirit had a hand in that, though it is nowhere referred to that I am aware of, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we go on to read in verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And it was darkness. The earth was without void and form, without form and void. And some have filled that form up with uh, uh, void and form up with numerous theories about what that means in this uh, big gap situation. Uh, this verse has been of uh, great concern and observation for many years, particularly now. Uh, if I were to ask a question of you, how many of you are recent earth folk? Uh, that would be some. And if I'd ask how many of you are old earth folk, that would be some as well. Dr. McLeod and I are recent folk, but we're old folk and we're not up to speed on a lot of new stuff. It's just that simple. Uh, the fact of the matter is, that uh, old earth view argues for 4.2 billion years. And I suggest to you that's a lot of hovering on the part of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm certain he could do that because a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. But nonetheless, that's a great deal. And there are all sorts of questions about that. And uh, I do not think it is a particular test of genuine Christianity. And uh, I don't think that that should enter into the fellowship of the saints particularly. Else I would not have some fellowship with some of the fellow faculty members of our college. And we can't have that, can we? The fact of the matter is it doesn't determine eternal salvation, your view of this. It is rather normative, as I grew up in Sunday school, to hear of six days and as you read through. And there are all sorts of arguments you can put to that as well. The other end of time, when God creates a new heavens and a new earth, after all of his dealings with this earth are concluded, there is something new created, and that seems to be very quick else we may well have to wait for another 4.2 billion years to enter into the new heavens and the new earth. And I would suggest to you as well that every miracle in the Bible, and we'll look at some of those in relationship to the life of Christ, has a, a complex of apparent antiquity that we accept very readily.
We have seen that very quickly in the water-to-wine miracle. It's the point that Jesus makes in it. And we see he is the Lord of time and creation in that. But even in simpler miracles, simpler miracles that have never entered into debate, like the question of the feeding of the 5,000. You know, in that little roll, there's a, a whole harvest represented, a whole planting of seed, a whole season of life, a season for it to grow, to be uh, harvested, to be winnowed, to be baked, and to be broken into little pieces. And the Lord does it instantly. Even more complex in producing a fish that a person could not tell the one that was the original little fish of the boy or the one that Jesus had created. I would expect the one Jesus created tasted better, actually. Don't you think? And, and there is a whole life cycle. The whole catching of the fish out of the Sea of Galilee, as we had seen. All of that sort of thing. The, 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 whatever you would do, the charcoaling, the frying, the baking, whatever. And preparing a little sandwich. It's instantly done. The miracles always have quick time represented. They are not delusions of God. They're supernatural. It's a miracle. And God can do miracles. We all believe that. To not believe that is to question who the Lord Jesus Christ is. The very Son of God. Why, even the waves of the sea obey Him. An instant storm. And an instant peace. Well, the Holy Spirit was there at creation. And he was hovering, uh, hovering as a bird. It's related to that. Hovering over the deep. What was he doing? In either view, old or new earth, he is making the earth now created anthrocentric, capable of being just what is needed for the fulfillment of the statement, let us make man in our own image. And man is created in a perfect atmosphere, the Garden of Eden, which matches how we exist as a human being. The Holy Spirit is at work in that. He is arranging that particularly. He is arranging other parts of the creation. In Job chapter 26, we read this, By His Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, He, God, adorned the heavens. God working through the Holy Spirit. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Job earlier refers to creation itself. And he says this, he commands, this is in chapter 9, verse 7, he commands the sun, it does not rise. He seals off the star. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. 
He adorns the heavens. Some years back, I, uh, we as a family had a, a wonderful pet dog, a purebred golden retriever. All the world should own a golden retriever. My neighbor owns one. And she says the chief goal of a golden retriever is to lick every human being on the face of the earth. And it's the truth, the friendliest of dogs. Maggie was dumb as a post. There's no question about that. But she was a loving, loving dog. She trained us. We think we train dogs. They train us. At about 10 o'clock, I was trained to take her out for a walk. I thought I trained her. She really trained us. You all have any of you have dogs? They train us. I love the commercial where the dog says, I don't get my master. He throws this thing away. I bring it back to him all the time, and he keeps throwing it away. doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. I'd take her out in the coldest of nights in the winter, had a 40-foot leash to let her go to the appointed place. And I enjoyed that. McLeod and I were talking about this later. He, lately. He had a dog as well. Uh, I had a friendly golden retriever. He had a pit bull that bit, bit, that, bit everybody, you know? That's the way it is. On those winter nights, I'd be out walking the dog, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed looking up at the heavens. I remember very well the occasion when, for the first time in my life, I saw planets, Venus, uh, Jupiter, Mars, Saturn, spread across the sky. That might not be the exact correct order. I know Venus was way over here, but that's the way they were. And I'm standing on Earth, and I recognize I was in the plane of the universe. I could see it. I could feel it. I'm standing on a, a, a plane of a universe in which God, God the Holy Spirit, had located them in the precise place they needed to be. He hovered over creation. He put the, the uh, wonderful constellations in place. I always enjoyed Orion, so easy to pick out. Have you seen that in the belt in the hunter's, the stars in the hunter's belt? I go out our front door, and if I turn the front light on, it picks up one of the posts and puts a straight line that if you look up is the North Star, that star that never changes its position that gives us guidance throughout our entire experience of moving about this earth that God has made. The ancient sailors, even the ancient mariner, looked at that star and set his course by it. Ken Fleming's written a, a book called The Gospel in the Stars. It's the Holy Spirit that did all of that arranging. I think it's the Holy Spirit who made the Garden of Eden because it was all without form. And the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep and made this earth a perfect place for perfect created man to come to occupy. And we see that still in the universe round about us. Part of what I like us to do, would like to do, out of all of this, is the next time we look at the star, think of the Holy Spirit.
who arranged those constellations, never calling attention to himself. In fact, uh, Matthew Arnold, I love him as a poet, wrote a poem called Independence. And it's based on these stars shining in their appointed place, each one according to its own particular composition, not in, composi not in competition with any other star, but independently bringing glory to God. The stars do that. In the stars, his handiwork I see. And we do. Next time we look at a star, think of the Holy Spirit. The next time we look at that flower called a cosmos, there's some of them around here. The orderliness. That's, that's a very Greek word for order. The cosmos world. In order by the Holy Spirit, he arranged it all. It is not accidental when sin came into the world and God judged it with the flood that a dove is sent forth to see if man can occupy earth again. The same symbol as on the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ when the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove to say this world will be redeemed. The curse will be removed. The incarnation has far more purposes than our salvation, certainly that. But to conquer sin and death and the hell and the grave and to make this earth a millennial earth similar, virtually the same as in the pre-fall condition. And it is the Holy Spirit that says man can live here. It is the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove saying, this is the Lord Jesus, here is the Trinity, the Father speaks. The Spirit descends, and there is His Son. You will be able to live on earth. I'll rescue it. Another reason for the Incarnation. The Holy Spirit in creation. Another great work of the Holy Spirit, we won't be able to do all of these. I know you realize that. Uh, I love the way the screen door is open. I can't even tell what time it is from here. It's covered the face of the clock. Isn't that beautiful? I have one here. Another great doctrine of the Old Testament is the working of the Holy Spirit. The working of the Holy Spirit in inspiration. There's another great doctrine of Scripture. Peter has a lot to tell us about that, do you know? He says this in, in uh, 1 Peter. He says, when the prophets wrote, they didn't understand what they were writing about. They couldn't, couldn't put together the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. They didn't know how to understand that. And they made a conclusion that they were writing to us on the other side of the prophecies. And we can understand. Steve is pointing that out to us in all the feasts and in the sacrifices. They all point forward. And they didn't understand all that was going on, did they? But we can look back with the full revelation of God the Holy Spirit and understand that. 
that was the working of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit working through holy men of God inspired Scripture. Inspiration is the work of the Holy Spirit in which He enables men to receive and record the Word of God without error in the original manuscripts, which we virtually have in the multiplicity of fragments and translations and, and various uh, supportive documents of Holy Scripture. In God's strange way, we can thank the Catholic Church for recording Scripture. Have you ever heard the story about the priest who was in the library where silence was enjoined upon them as they translated Scripture, copied the manuscripts, and one of them shrieked out, Oh, no! And they all came running. You're not supposed to talk. He said, I, I have found a mistake in our translation. The word was not celebrate, celibate. It was celebrate. That's a big discovery for a priest. Do you realize that? <laughs> That's not a true story. <laughs> the work of the Holy Spirit and inspiration. In Second Peter, Peter says, you know, you may have some doubts about Christianity. Some people, some of us may doubt that we are saved. And he says, Here, here's how you cure that. If a person does not add to his faith virtue and the virtue knowledge and the knowledge self-control and the self-control endurance and to endurance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love, this is what will happen. He says, if there is not spiritual growth, three things will happen. You will not be able to see where you are spiritually. You'll not be able to see where you're going. And you will have forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. And when we doubt Christianity, doubt our own salvation, we go to 2 Peter 1 and he tells us what to do. Grow, and you won't have debate about it. There's a second doubt that we have believed in cunningly devised fables, that this religion is no better than any other. Our country is about saying that now. Do you realize it? There is only one way to God, and there is only one God to go to. Christianity is very narrow, intolerant. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's the way it is. And you can't believe that and believe the other at the same time. That's a contradiction. This is not based upon cunningly devised human fables. The Word of God is a product of the inspiring work of the Holy Spirit, including all those prophetic statements that are so magnificent in Scripture, so intricately wrought in Scripture. Amazing the working of the Holy Spirit. I enjoy seeing that. It, 
it just gets me all excited personally when I see throughout Scripture this thread of truth that no human being could concoct to put in place where the Holy Spirit uses 40 different men over a 1,500-year period to write this miraculous book that is without error and uh, fulfills its purposes and is so intrinsically woven together in a complex weave. One of my favorite portions in Scripture is concerning one of my heroes in the book of Genesis, Jacob. I love Jacob. What Jacob wanted above all things was the blessing of God. I love the scene where in a theophany, in a man-like appearance of Christ, where he comes down and he wrestles with Jacob overnight. Do you know that scene? It is so beautiful. The two of them wrestling, the Lord Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, and Jacob wrestling. Who wins? Who does? What's the answer? Jacob wins. It says he prevails. He says to God, I will not let you go until you bless me. Above all things, he wanted the blessing of God. And he got it in some tricky ways. But that's what he was after. And he prevails. That's what it says. And he prevailed. Jacob prevailed. Now God said, Lord Jesus said, you know, I let you win. And he touches him. And he limps from then on. Just to remind that he was wrestling with the true and living God, the Lord Jesus himself. At the end of his life, Jacob really prevailed. The book of Hebrews quotes Jacob, showing his faith. As he is dying, he pulls himself up on the bedstead and worships God. That's the goal of all of our lives. That's the chief end of man. And in his circuitous route to the worship of God, at the end he was at his best. He was a prophet. And he spoke. And he spoke of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the scepter shall not depart until Shiloh come. How's that for a blessing, Judah? He said something to Joseph, too. He said to Joseph, a stone shall arise for Israel. That's the first mention of that stone concept, way back in Jacob's life. And you see that throughout the Old Testament. You see it in those five psalms that Steve made reference to. Psalm 118, where it is elaborated upon the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. We see it in the book of Daniel, that stone, that fifth of the kingdoms. The four we know very well. Babylon, what's the next one? Babylon's first. Persia, third, Greece, fourth, Rome. And then a fifth kingdom, a stone of the mountain, comes and crushes them all. That stone, in Psalm 118, written even before that, you have this stone 
which the builders rejected. The Lord Jesus seizes on that stone motif on Tuesday when he is confronting the Pharisees. The wicked husbandman's parable. Do any of you remember that? The wicked husbandman? Anybody like to rehearse that story quickly for us? I'd be happy to have that. What happens? The Lord, the owner, rents out his properties to other vine dressers. And he sends servants. What do they do to the servant? Kill him. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. What did they do to the son? Kill him. And the Lord Jesus asked the Pharisees, who knew this very well, what will he do to those wicked husbandmen? What, guess what the Pharisees say? He will put them to a wicked death, a violent death, and let out the vineyard to other tenants. Have you never read in Scripture the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner? The Pharisees said, he's talking about us. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. In the book of Acts, Peter preaches the same thing. You, the builders, have rejected that stone. And he's giving them opportunity to respond again. And their second sin was worse than their first because I knew you did it ignorantly and in unbelief. But now I'm explaining it to you. And that made it more serious. The Apostle Peter quoting those events in his epistle says to the church, you are not a people of God, but now you are the people of God, like Israel was the people of God, and will be again when he comes to bless Israel. And in that great passage, he said, this is a fulfillment of Scripture. The stone which the builders rejected, to which disobedience they were appointed. Now there's a statement, appointed to disobedience. Well, that was part of the plan. It was in Psalm 118 already. And one day that stone that the builders rejected will be viewed again by those in the tribulation and all Israel will repent when they see their Messiah again and enter into the kingdom the stone which the builders throughout scripture no human being could do that that's the working of the Holy Spirit in tying together all of the details of Holy Scripture in the Abrahamic covenant, he says, In thee and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In Galatians, he said, he did not say seeds many, plural. He said seed. And that seed is, finish the question, that seed is Christ. That's how detailed the inspiring work of the Holy Spirit is. He inspired Forty men over a 1,500-year period so that they could receive and record without error 
And I think that's one of his biggest works in the Old Testament, don't you? All of those truths that show how God works out all things. All things are appointed of God. There is a time and a purpose for everything. And we can't understand it. Peter says that himself. The close of Second Peter, he says, Paul writes things that are hard to understand. Peter, you didn't do badly yourself in writing some hard things. That illustration of Noah and the ark is really a hard thing. And he calls both Old and New Testament Scripture inspired of God the Holy Spirit. That one book that tells us, Westminster Confession, all we need for faith and practice, all we need to know to be saved, all we need to know to live a life of first fruits, living for God first in our human experience. When we pick up this book, thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving me a book that tells me all I need to know. I am not omniscient, but an omniscient God has revealed himself and told me all I need to know to be saved and to please him and to make my life count for God. Thank you for doing that. This is a work of the Holy Spirit that we carry day by day that we read, that we memorize, that we post on mottos, that we instill in our children, because in it is life, and life abundant. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving me this book upon which I can build my faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for such a great work that you have told us all we need to know for faith and practice through your Spirit. And we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.